Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. <laughs> we are on season three, episode seven, Sacrifice. I flipped a switch for that one. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, we just got to get ready to go. Woo! <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> God, you're so pixelated. I am. Yeah, it, you're always like this. I hate it. It's even worse today, though. Yeah. Am like, I pixelated if, ever? Sometimes, yeah. Not as yeah. bad as you say that I am. Like, it's not enough to super bug me. Yeah. But you're also crabbier than me. I mean, I am, but like, <laughs> I like to see your face and your expressions, and it's all like just a mush. It's I can just pretty what I much look like now. <laughs> all right, opening scene. A couple of dudes are leaving a gay bar called Puffy's. Mm, I love it already. Yeah. So the dude's friends are like hyping this one guy up. Like they obviously like set him up on like a blind date and they're like, oh my God, Steve totally likes you. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. he's like, he barely talked to me. Yeah. So he catches up with Steve and he's like, hey, sorry, this is weird or whatever. And he's like, oh, I'm nervous too. It's fine. And then you're like, oh my God, they're totally going to hang out. And then just then you hear some gunshots. So Steve fucking pulls out a gun out of nowhere and he tells him, all to get back so him and his pals kind of take off yeah you can tell immediately that steve is like some sort of law steve's a cop yeah Yeah. so he's not just a guy with a gun being like i got this (laughs) yeah so then immediately in my head i was like oh my god what if this is his elaborate plan for like every time like to get out of a date you know, like every single time he's like, instead of his friend calling, yeah. he has somebody like in the alley. Yeah. yeah. Like I would be like, oh my God, Tasha, call me in five minutes and tell me there's an emergency, but this guy just has like a gun, you know? <laughs> he gets around the corner and his buddy's like, oh my God. And he's like, you showed up just in time. Oh yeah. He like he has his friend shoot somebody so he can get, he can get I'll call you. <laughs> So Steve runs in the alley to see a man on the ground and another man standing over him. And Steve's like, show your hands, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, my name's Phil. I sleep here. Yeah. It's clear to me that Phil is assisting this guy that was shot and he's not the perp. Yeah. Now we're in the hospital. Benson and Stabler walk in and talk to Steve. He's also a detective. He tells them the John Doe is a white male, early 20s, and he got shot in the guts, which is like awful. I like Steve. I I, I do too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wish we saw him more. I thought we were going to see more throughout the episode, but. I know. Me too. Steve said he thinks that he saw him in the bar, but he, he doesn't really remember. And then Olivia's like, oh, I wonder if these are like, this is like hate crime, gay bashing stuff. Also, the victim was gang raped. The only witness they have is Phil Kastner. He says he had just gotten there to sleep. Steve says he's not really sure if he believes that he's homeless because he looks, quote, too clean. Which... Well, he said too clean for a street sleeper. For a street sleeper. Yeah. Yeah. At first I was like, excuse me. And then I yeah. was like, "For," but I get it for someone sleeping on the street. Right. They have to. So there has to be some level of like assessing the situation even though it's like what the fuck are you saying yeah yeah so stabler's like hey steve like we can keep this discreet if you don't want anybody to know that you're gay and steve's like brass nose already but thanks for asking steve is fucking hot by the way steve's super hot yeah i like how stabes asked him but mm-hmm. also didn't make a big deal about it at the same time he was just like yeah. okay yeah because remember there, there was that one episode where the i think it was in the first season there was some guy in a with boat. the videotape and the guy he looked kind of like bob saget yeah and he's like, like whole, he's like you better uh, tell me or i'm gonna start talking to everybody about your gang he's like shut up like yeah you know 
You're there like, must Don't. have been some sort of weekend course or something that Stabler took because he handled the situation like a completely no, it was, person. It was another cop, so he gave a shit. The guy, no, the guy he was threatening was a cop. No, he oh, was wait, the no, boat no, no. guy. We're talking about two different episodes. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was another episode with the videotape guy and that guy's That's a cop. Right. And he's like, hey, I don't want to give you this. I don't want to expose myself because whatever. And then his Is representative. The yeah, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it's more than what. So Stabler has, yeah, he's only handled it cool with other cops. Shit. Ish. Ish. <laughs> he took a class. You're right. He took a class. Uh, <laughs> take more. <laughs> right. So now we're in the victim's room. The Vic is fully sedated. He has mm-hmm. an old scar on his hand, and he has no other wounds or tattoos, and he has a wedding ring on. And Stabler's like, well, if he's in a committed relationship, we might be able to get a hit off missing persons. And Benson's like, he's in a meat market bar. Let's hope his partner's more committed than he is. Wow, Benson, wow. I know. Okay? <laughs> uh, Stabler was like, here's a lead, and she's like, here's a judgment. I know. Fuck you. <laughs> But it's a slumbering Mark Paul Gossler. Mm-hmm. Zach Morris. Zach fucking Morris. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Now we're in the precinct and they're talking to Phil, the witness. He's pouring all this sugar into his coffee. He thanks him for the clothes and says he does laundry on Thursdays and will wash them and bring them back. Stabler hands him a donut and tells him that they're his to keep. Phil seems like a really good dude to me. Mm-hmm. Like a dude in a rough spot. Because he, yeah. but he jumped to help someone, which is super sweet. Like his first instinct was to go over and help this person. Yeah. Olivia asks him if he's a junkie because she's a dick this episode. <laughs> well, she like caught him like pouring all that sugar in there. And she yeah. was like, mm. and he's, yeah, he's like, what, what gave me away the sugar? Yeah. He's been clean for 64 days, five hours and 12 minutes, obviously telling us that it's a really tough task for him. He said that he stays outside of the bar puffies when he needs to rest because the gays treat him like a human being. So if he can't find a bed, that's where he sleeps. Yeah. Usually he stays at the mission on 10th, though. Phil says that it was dark, but he got a good look at the shooter when he came out of the alley. Brown hair between 5'10 and 6 foot. He says the gun was a snub-nosed 38 revolver. And he says it with such confidence that it yeah. makes Benny and Stabes, like, pause for a second. And he, like, rattles other. off all this stuff. He's like... Brown hair, 5'10". Especially about the gun. Mm-hmm. So they like side-eye each other, but not smooth at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phil's like, I was a master sergeant at Paris Island. It was a lifetime ago. Obviously, he's living a completely different life now. Mm-hmm. Stabler tells him that veterans are eligible for benefits. And Phil's like, not without an address. And the waiting list for housing is super duper long. So we're in the squad room and Craig is like, how much of this addict statement can we believe? Stabler's like, all of it. Dude seemed like lucid enough to give us all those details. So then Toots pops in and this was brilliant. Brilliant, I thought he's like he's an addict and his shit won't hold up in court they'll like blast him in court right so they want to get him to agree to a blood test right now so lawyers can't argue he was high later which is great like I was like brilliant yeah. you know yeah Olivia's like good thing you you know the drug business and Toots fires back glad I could bring something to the table and Olivia's like geez I didn't mean it like that Toots is like forget it take a back seat Staves we've got a touchy Toots on our hands yeah this is one of those episodes but with that is it's weird because we don't dive into it too deep there's multiple plot points in this episode Mm -hmm. that don't get a lot of attention or don't you know they kind of all make sense like really lightly but i feel like there was a lot left on the cutting room floor this episode yeah why are mark paul gossler's parents like why didn't he talk to them i don't want to talk about it and then we just don't talk about it i know yeah i'm getting ahead of myself there's a lot that i'm like usually they kind of like wrap things up a little bit Mm -hmm. but they like didn't 
Craig and Chelsea toots to get on it before they lose Phil to the streets. He's like, go get him fucking tested now. And then Benson's like, dude, what's what's wrong with toots? Craig doesn't answer and just keeps asking questions about the case. I don't like understand what's going on. I don't know why toots is so crabby. And why they don't acknowledge. Well, I know why they don't acknowledge Olivia at all, but um, <laughs> we all know. Why. But they don't. But it's just not. They could have cut that part, too. Yeah. I need to talk to these editors. <laughs> Get them on the that. phone. They're like, remember 20 years ago when you... (laughs) I've been retired for a decade. What? How did you get this number? I've been dead for four years. What are you calling me What's your profession? (laughs) Fuck you. A podcast, you say? Mm, Um, Tell me about your podcast. And it's not even your profession? Mm. You couldn't rent a (laughs) shitty apartment in a small town with what you make on your Uh, Which is fine. It's fine. It's it's where we're at. <coughs> Patreon. <coughs> Join our Patreon. We're doing stuff on Patreon. Um, okay, so Lizzie, uh, I didn't know there was caffeine in this bubbly water. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so Stabler doesn't answer and keeps asking questions about the case. He wants him to find out what the Vic was doing in the alley. Vice yeah. couldn't find any ID or prints on him, so he's not a known sex worker. There were three different blood types in the semen, and Olivia thinks it's a rape gangbang, which I don't like that. I don't know. Like There's got to be a better term for it. Munch is like, maybe this is a hate crime. The perps are probably like hetero or closeted. Craig sends Munch to missing persons and Benson and Stabler to Puffy's to canvas the bar. I can't fucking wait. Mm. So now we're at Puffy's. I'd fucking hang out here. Yeah. So the bartender recognizes the victim. He says he was talking to one of his regulars. Stabler's like, well, who the fuck is your regular? And the bartender is like, look, being gay doesn't mean you're violent. That was done by a straight person. In fact, most gay bashers look a lot like you and points to Stabler. And I was like, um, he's not wrong. Olivia just goes balls to the wall. And she's like, we don't want to fucking hassle you. Like, we'll come back with a war and go through all your receipts and shut down the bar if we have to. We just want information. And the bartender is immediately like, the guy's name is Willem, but I know he didn't do this. Right. So Willem and the Vic had a drink at the bar and Will passed the guy a thick envelope. And then the Vic left alone. And the bartender's like, hard to believe with a body like that. How are you going to get through an episode without objectifying MPG? We're not. Right. Yeah. He's I a mean, gorgeous man. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous man. He is a good looking fella. This bartender knew it. <laughs> So Willem left at last call. The bartender gives Benson Stabler a box with all the credit card receipts to find um, Willem's address. Right, because this is 2001 and he has a box of credit card receipts. (laughs) Right. So we're at Willem's apartment, which is May 2nd, which is the day before my birthday. Um, Ray Borland answers the door. Ray Borland looks like he just got back from a business trip to Transylvania. Oh my God. You know, (laughs) when I... Whenever they show those, like, you know how there's always a little horror, like, three-minute movie or something where it's like, oh, the devil opens up, like, a store and you can buy, like, objects that give you power, but they're bad? I understand the concept of, like, a monkey's paw. Yeah, like, he looks like the store owner who's, like, actually the devil who owns the store that has the monkey paw, you know? Right, yeah. He's like, careful what you wish for. (laughs) And everybody's like, what? That's what he looks like. It'd be great if he was just like a like a dad that told terrible jokes, but then that's how he laughed after them. (laughs) Yeah. Have a great trip. See you next fall. (laughs) I don't know. Can you? (laughs) Dad, have you seen my phone? If it was up your ass making a ham sandwich, you'd know. (laughs) 
Is that not a common thing? That's that no, was, did, no, I've never heard that. That was a thing my dad would say, and he I've always heard, laughed really hard after he said it. I've heard like if it was up your ass, you'd know, but never the ham sandwich part. Why that part's in there? I don't know. Why do you got ham up in there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this Ray Borland slash the devil that owns a haunted shop. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, oh yeah, that's Willem. He's my houseboy. What has he done this time? And I'm like, does Willem get into some shit? Yeah. Because he seems to be like annoyed that the cops are there. Yeah. Not even regular cops. Cops in like, if regular cops showed up at my house, I'd be like, but if cops in fucking suits. Suit, yeah. Like detect, like something, something's going on. Yeah. Willem's out picking up Borland's laundry and he'll be back in a minute. They show him a picture of the victim and he says he doesn't recognize him. So Stabler hands him a card and tells Borland to have Willem call. Just then, of course, a dude holding some dry cleaning up walks up and he fits the description. He was in Oz. He was? God, everybody was in Oz. I in haven't show. watched... Uh, I just looked him up because like, he had a very mm. hairy chest, very high up, and his shirt unbuttoned a little bit. And it made me stop and go, I need to find out who you are. <laughs> Like, like when you know the hair goes up to their fucking eyeballs, but they shave their neck and it makes like a perfect crew neck. And there's fucking, a, yeah, there's yeah. a line right across. Yeah. Yeah. When they stop him, he's like, ugh. <laughs> so we're in the precinct talk room with Willem. Stabler sees that Willem's done seven years in Sing Sing, possession with intent and assault too. And then Willem's like, I've changed my evil ways. But he does recognize the victim. Benson's like, tell us what happened. Willem's like, I didn't touch him. His name is Peter Ivanhoe. And Stabler's like, is that for real? And he's like, that's what he said. Yeah. He won't tell them what was in the envelope, but it was he's like, it wasn't drugs or anything. Just then, Terrence Moore, his lawyer, walks in. He's like, get out of here. Stop talking to him. They're like, we're going to get his DNA. It won't be hard to get a warrant considering he's an ex-con and he was like the last person to see the victim. Yeah, a known violent ex-con. Right. And this lawyer tries to like sack up a little bit and Benson's yeah. like, we're just waiting for the lab tech. So uh, why don't you have a seat, counselor? And then mm-hmm. she sits back in her seat all smug, but like the good kind. And I'm like, wee! so now we're in the lab room phil our witness is at a table getting his blood drawn when toots walks up and he's like have an orange juice we bathe in this shit around here and natural (laughs) sugar is better than a candy bar unless it's an orange juice candy bar (laughs) then he turns to camera and says orange juice and his tooth twinkles and he takes a huge gulp (laughs) they like orange juice at the one six Toots is giving a little patronizing pep talk to Phil about his addiction and hands him a card. Toots has worked in narcotics for a long time and his bedside manner with addicts is not there at all, but he still seems to care. Munch walks past them and into the squad room. Craigan wants to know if they have Willem's DNA and Stabler says the DNA is on the way to the lab now. Munch says that missing persons got a hit in Cedar Creek, Arkansas. A 17-year-old boy, Wesley Jensen, went missing in 1993. His parents are flying in right now. Toots asks, what's the connection between the runaway and the ex-con? We'll get there. So Stabler says that Willem played dumb about the envelope, but Willem's in the drug trade. So he's like, I know that it's don't pay off money or money to make a buy. Olivia wants to know if he's making a ton of money, why is he doing Ray Borland's laundry? And there's so many possibilities as to why. Like, yeah, I know. Um, Munch checked with narcotics. Ray Borland is in the drug world, too. Toots said if he's connected, the real laundry is cleaning money. Internally, mm-hmm. Toots is like, 
loving this moment that his like, perfect timing played out <laughs> he plays it super cool because he's a professional he just like walks by and nobody in the real world like this is when i get pulled out of it <laughs> this is a serious situation but that's when you look at toots and go oh my god dude that was good he's like thanks really good anyway yeah. back to serious. i wonder why he's fucking pissed because yeah, he's no doing shit. this shit all the time he's throwing out zingers all the time and nobody's giving him high fives right he's got like a twitchy high five hand where he's like just keep it down don't embarrass yourself <laughs> like look at the island of arufa he didn't get shit for that he didn't get a high five he didn't get nothing not even like a half grin he even said it twice i think just to make sure i'm that surprised that he hasn't fist fought anybody in that fucking precinct <laughs> i'm going back to narcotics where everybody's cracking the fuck up over my shit <laughs> i'm going back to hilarious hilarious narcotics <laughs> i got a tight five down there at least <laughs> All right, all right, go ahead. <laughs> so Olivia Olivia breaks everything down. Willem fronts as Borland's man on the street. Wesley Jansen, a.k.a. Peter Ivanhoe, is either a dealer, a mule, or a client. Ooh, mm -hmm. The hospital just called The Vic is Awake. The Vic? Mm -hmm. Fucking Wesley slash Peter. We're going to call him Wesley from now on because now we know his real name. Yeah. Now we're at the Stuyvesant Hospital. What is this hospital called? It's like uh, Stoyvesant or something. It was like weird. It's a Think hospital it, that they're using now. Do do a Russian thing. Stoyvesant. Something like that. <laughs> Stoyvesant Hospital. It's in the uh, Borscht District. What Shut is it? up. <laughs> There's a Russian. What is the Russian district called in fucking? Oh, it's going to piss me off. It starts with a B. The Russian district in New York where all the Russians. Brighton Beach. Burgers. Brighton Beach is where. Bob's like, Burgers. Bo yes, Bob's Burgers. It's where all the Russians go. I knew it. Vodka sandwiches. Okay. I don't know. Either. So. It's just a grilled cheese just <laughs> doused in vodka and it's all mushy. <laughs> you pay, take a plate and you're like. <laughs> all right so i got ben props guys <laughs> benson and stabler walk into the room and they're like hey where's wesley jansen to this other guy in a bed he's the roommate he says that wesley left about 30 minutes ago and didn't tell him anything the nurse had let him go he got freaked out when he knew the cops were coming just then this no-nonsense nurse walks in and mm -hmm. they're like Oh my God, you let a John Doe go with a gut wound? And she's like, he's got all this shit going on in his condition. He'll be back with a staph infection. Fucking idiot. Like, she was just like, yeah, he wanted to leave. He can leave. He'll be back. Yeah. So then they just go back to the roommate and he said that he talked a bunch on the phone. Like, I'll see you in a little bit. Don't worry. Love you. So they're going to go through the phone and figure out who picked him up. Right. So now we're at Wesley Jansen's apartment. Benson and Stabler are yeah. pounding on the door. Mm -hmm. And who answers the door? This is the moment I realized it was Zach Morris. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's Zach Morris. So he's obviously like super sore. He's got his hand up to his guts. Um, mm -hmm. They want to talk to him about his assault and they want him to come to the precinct to talk. But he's like, I didn't see who attacked me. In a different room, Olivia sees that there's a bunch of suitcases and stuff. So he's packing. And she's like, where are you going? What's up? And he's like, well, I just want to break from this city he's a little jumpy and nervous and olivia's like why are you so nervous what's going on and he's like yeah duh i was attacked like how should i act mm -hmm. and but he's also like no one's threatening or following me they tell him that they know about the rape and he's like what that's crazy and stabler lays out the facts well we've got semen from
from three different men and a gunshot wound here. So, so then his wife and a little girl walk into the apartment and oh my fucking God, it's Elizabeth Banks, who is also on the cast of Wet Hot American Summer with Christopher Maloney. Mm-hmm. And she also doesn't fucking age, just like oh. Paul Rudd, who is also in the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love Elizabeth Banks. This Me is too. not a hot take. Like she's. She's great. Oh, she's what do you want? What do you want from her? She's great. She's great. She's gorge. Yeah. She's hilarious. Her timing's fabulous. Yeah. She can play any role. She can do anything. She can do serious. She can do. She can play old. She can play young. She can. Ugh. Yeah. She's you remember, the best. She's. You remember? Remember the Hunger Games? Have you heard of it? <laughs> no, I've she never. Played, she, she played Effie Trinket and she's mm-hmm. like. She looks like. Is that woman 30 or is she 60? I know. But I love her. Yeah, she's great. Okay. But she's a cunt in this. <laughs> so her name is Jaina and she's Wesley's wife and their daughter's name is Mara. They want Wesley to come in to the precinct and talk. And Jaina's like, Mm-mm, not till he's feeling better. She's fully on board with the fact that he was mugged, by the way. And Benson's like... The hospital or the precinct? We need a statement. And they're like, okay. Mm. So now we're in the precinct. Wesley keeps telling them that the whole thing is a blur. The captain wants to see them. Out of Cragen's office comes Wesley's parents that flew in. The mom is hugging him and saying, it's been eight years. I'm just happy you're alive. And I am in for all of these blank spots because what the fuck is this? I know. Right? Yeah. Now we're in the interview room. And Stabler asks Wesley if he's ready to talk. And he's like, why did you call my parents? I don't want them here. He doesn't want to talk about why he ran away. And we never fucking do. I know. We never talk about why he ran away. He's got a scar on his hand, which we don't talk about. It is a huge plot point at at a certain point. It's actually like the determining factor of why they figure shit out. Mm -hmm. But we don't talk about. I was like, what do you mean injury? What injury? I had to watch it back again to be like, oh, it's a thing we don't talk about. And then- That he doesn't want to talk about his family background and why he didn't talk to his seemingly nice parents who care about him for the last eight years. Well, is it just that that means anything? Is it just because he wanted to be with Jaina and they didn't like her? That's pretty extreme. Yeah, I know. But anyway, it's just all very like, what is this? My immediate family? Like nobody's going to talk about anything. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Right. Benson asks about the assault and the rape. And he's like, I'm bisexual. It wasn't rape. And he's trying to quickly dismiss all of their questions. Like he's very committed to not talking. (laughs) Yeah. Just appeasing. So they're not having it. And Benson's like, we're trying to help you. And Wesley goes, you can't. Stabler lets him know that he can't just sweep it under the rug. He goes, we take assault and rape very seriously. We keep investigating with or without help. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, not really, but for Mm -hmm. the show's sake, cool. (laughs) Right. As far as the assault, he says that it was a hit in the head and the rest is a blur. And Olivia's like, "Mm -mm, no, you weren't. There's no evidence that you were hit in the head. I don't believe you. Yeah. Munch is asking Jaina her questions now. So she's also from Cedar Creek, Arkansas. Munch goes, you sure about that? And she side eyes super hard and goes, just ask my mother-in-law. And I'm like, what is this family dynamic? Yeah. So we're in the squad room. Munch is asking Jaina her questions. So she's also from Cedar Creek, Arkansas. Um, She called the police when Wesley went to run errands and didn't come back. Munch asks her what precinct she called. And she says, you don't believe me? Which I thought was kind of weird. So then we cut back to the interview room with Wesley. Benson's like, dude, it's hard to deal with the fact you were raped, but you have to deal with it for yourself and your family, which I was like, calm down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, don't tell a survivor what they have to do. 
Yeah, she knows better. So he's like, I, I will. Or he asks if the lecture is over. Stabler asks him what was in the envelope that Willem gave him. Wesley says it's payment for working on Ray Borland's house. 4500 in cash, which was stolen when, when he was assaulted. Which sucks. Yeah. Benson's like, why do you use the alias Peter Ivanhoe? So he said he made it up when him and Jaina ran away because he thought his parents would be looking. And then he goes, I just got in the habit of using it. Yeah. He says Jaina's parents are dead. Her father killed her mother in front of her and then killed himself. Yep. And then he goes, nobody looked after her except for me. So it, they have like a us against the world mentality. Yeah. Like a Romeo and Juliet fucking blah, 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 blah. Right. Back in the squad room, Toots tells Jaina that maybe she knew her husband was making a drug deal and she didn't call the police. Wesley's mom stands up and yells across the precinct, you got Wesley involved with drags? <laughs> Jaina, that's exactly how she said it. <laughs> Jaina turns around and tells her, no, I don't, but it's just like you to blame me for this. She's like in and out of this light Southern accent. Yeah, I, like, I always like when Elizabeth Banks is a Southern accent because it's never really that great. <laughs> oh my god well she goes in and out of it through the entire episode like it's, yeah. it's really light it's like trying not to be too thick about it but it only mm-hmm. comes out at certain times wesley's mom says he never gave us any trouble until he met you now Jana stands up and says yeah i suppose i seduced him too got pregnant on purpose so he'd marry me mm-hmm. wesley's mom steps closer i wouldn't put a past a slut like you and then munches all like whoa 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 he <laughs> shuts it down real fucking quick Miss yeah. Jansen, wait in the captain's office or leave. You yeah. park it and chill out. He and Toots separate the women. Yeah. So Wesley's coming out of the interview at this time like, what the fuck? His daughter Mara, who was there for the entire thing, Ugh. says, that lady called mommy a slut. What does that mean? <laughs> Wesley takes Jaina and their daughter out of the precinct and doesn't acknowledge his parents at all. And his mom's like, Wesley. My son. That was sad, but also like, girl. You haven't seen your son in eight years? Fucking hold your tongue. If you want a relationship with him, you can't be going around calling his wife a slut. Like, there's a reason he's not talking to you. Okay, we're in the squad room. It's a new time. Walk and talk. Benson, Stabler, Cragen. They looked into the murder homicide of, of Wesley's wife's, Jaina's mom. We got it, right? Yeah. Jaina was 10. She moved in with her aunt after that happened, and her aunt's boyfriend sexually assaulted her. Mm. Wesley's parents had said that he's always had a soft spot for Jaina. He even wanted them to take her in. After they said no, he went from college bound to truant and everything became all about Jaina. Jaina ran away when she was pregnant with Mara. Cragen finishes the sentence, to a city where the predators know a victim when they see one. Cragen wants to know where they're at with the rape. Benson says without a complaining witness, it doesn't exist. And she doesn't know why he's holding back, but thinks Wesley must know his attackers because of how scared he is. Stabler says they still got attempted murder unless Cragen wants to hand it off. And Cragen's like, have I ever? Mm-hmm. He said that with his dick, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Stabler says Borland claimed he didn't know Wesley, but Wesley was paid by Willem for Borland's home repairs. Benson thinks that it's a drug connection. Munch and Toots come in and have info from the lab. Willem's DNA matches. Toots thinks Borland's DNA will match too, but they can't get a warrant unless Willem gives up Borland. They gotta bring them both in. Mm-hmm. 
So now we're in the Borland interview room. Borland's lawyer says he's willing to cooperate fully as long as the questions stay within the scope or he'll bury them in paperwork. And Benson's like, well, we dream in triplicate, so let's just cut the chest thumping. She has yeah. a very don't come for me unless I send for you attitude this episode, yeah. and I am here for it. Yeah, she's like, fucking chill, dude. Benson tells Borland that Wesley said he worked for him. Borland said that they're just acquaintances. Steeler asked why he lied and said he didn't know him when they showed him a pic of Wesley at his house. And he's like, well, I just didn't want to be involved. <laughs> okay. All right. So now we're in the Willem interview room. Right off the bat, Munch and Toots are talking to each other while Willem is there. They're just, they're not even acknowledging him. They're like, sodomy in the first along with his convict history is 18 to 25 minimum. And then Willem's like, I didn't rape anybody. And Munch is like, we're not allowed to talk to you. Um, you asked for a lawyer. And then they go back to chatting with each other. Toots says, it's a no-brainer with the DNA in Wesley Jensen. He's like, damn, I hope this perp can do this kind of time. And then Munch says, he wouldn't have to if he cooperated. DA likes to make deals. <laughs> So they're just like goading him into talking without a lawyer there or getting him to ask his lawyer to make a deal with cooperation. Yeah, they're just like, yeah. we're going to have this overly cartoonish conversation yeah. in front of you. Like, I don't know who could help us out here, but if they did, they would sure benefit from it. Nobody in their Any fucking right mind would fall for that shit, but whatever. I mean, if you're that super scared and you don't, well, yeah. and you're like confused, and especially if you're like, I didn't, that guy's sitting there knowing he didn't do anything. So it's yeah. like, now we're in Borland's interview room. Stabler asks Borland what kind of work Wesley did for him. And he just says odd jobs. Benson's like, that's fucking bullshit. He was gang raped by three dudes and one was ID'd as your houseboy, Willem. Borland's lawyer says, interview is over. <laughs> they immediately like stepped out of the scope. <laughs> and Stabler's like, I bet your fucking DNA will match too. And Benson's like, Willem's across the hall facing some serious time and is probably going to give you up. Like, but Borland's like chill about it though. And he's like, there's nothing he can say to incriminate me. Right. So now we're in the Willem's interview room. Huang is watching on the other side of the glass. Toots asks Munch where he thinks Willem will do his time. Willem blurts out, we were making a movie. Nobody got raped. And Munch again says, he's like, I can't talk to you without your lawyer. And Willem's like, well, I'll sign whatever release if it'll get me out of here. And then I'm like, oh my God, don't do it, you idiot. But he signs it. And then he's like, oh my God, we were making gay porn. Like, I know he was raped. Yeah. So now we're in Borland's interview room again. And Borland says he produces films and he had sent Willem to go pay Wesley for his services. He says Wesley isn't gay and gay on straight sells a lot, especially if it's bareback. Wesley is, quote, strictly gay for pay at 1500 bucks a bang. And then I wonder if this was when, like, bi wasn't really considered a thing yet. Um, that, yeah. So now we're in the squad room. Staler says Wesley wasn't being cooperative because he didn't want anyone digging into his background. Huang says that Wesley is either ashamed or afraid of someone. I'm guessing both. They wonder if he's connected with the mob. Somehow the mob, I don't know. Huang thinks because he was shot in the guts that it was personal because it's like a really slow and painful way to die. Craigan says they can offer Wesley protection because the person who shot him could come back for another try. And then I was like, oh my God, what if it was Gina because she was mad at him for doing porn? But also like, Craigan, you always say you can offer people protection and you cannot. Every person that you've said that to in any episode has gotten killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or shot at or something we're outside on the street in front of wesley's apartment and there's this lotto jackpot sign with a cutout of a dude holding the sign but you can only see like his eyes and nose over the little like jackpot thing that he's holding mm -hmm. and i'm like are they fucking trolling us because this cutout of this dude looks exactly like stabes and i'm sending it to you now i didn't Gabe. see this yeah, and I'll be posting it on our Instagram and on the Facebook group. Here, let me send it to you really quick. I put it in my notes. I'm sending it to you right now. <laughs> a 
That's it does not I look like it. fucking Stabler. <gasps> You're fucking kidding me. That looks it's like not... Stabler. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. I thought it was Stabler for a quick second. No, you're screaming at me, and it doesn't look like him. <laughs> I The louder I yell... The more the, I'll understand. I get it. This is... Okay. Well, guess what? It just went from me being like, look at this thing I saw that you didn't notice, to a poll. We're going to do a poll, and if you think this looks like Stabler, I'm, I'll, I'll set it up. I'll set it up. It does. It's not even the same hair color. <gasps> Or re- or or receding hairline. Oh my god! Well, I didn't study it. It was like a quick pan, and I was like, "What?" And then I went back and went, "What?" And then I went back and took a picture of it. Blink, blink, blink. <laughs> I'm glad our episodes have become over an hour long, so we can do this <laughs> stupid fucking shit. Our this... Patreon episode, our last Patreon episode, was almost two hours long because we don't cut out any of the garbage cookies. Almost two fucking hours. That was a plug. <laughs> Yeah. Go. Okay, go ahead. Anyway. No, you. Okay, oh, fine. Go ahead. So, <laughs> so we're outside Wesley's apartment. All right. Benson and Stabler talk to a woman outside of the apartment. They ask her if she's heard from the Jansons. She's they just not- moving trash, right? Like bags yes. of trash to the. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they ask her if she's heard from the Jansons because mm-hmm. they had knocked on the door and nobody had answered it. And the lady's like, why is he dead? She said that the ambulance got there pretty quickly, considering. So his fucking bullet wound did exactly what the nurse said it was going to do. And Mm -hmm. they're learning that he's back at the hospital. Yeah. She'd been checking on Wesley off and on. Yeah, because Gina was at work like during the day. Yeah. Yeah. And the last time she was there, he was out cold. So she called 911 and they went to St. Martin's. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they go to Stewieville or whatever the fuck that other Stuyvesteski or whatever the Stuy- shit. <laughs> Jaina's at work, but she left her a number. Mm-hmm. And the cops are like, she's at work? Suspish, right? <laughs> the woman sets down the trash that she's moving so she can hand them the work number. Obviously, if they're talking to a person on the street, they're moving a bag of trash. Yeah. It's like uh, if it's a doorman, they're moving bags. If it's a sex worker, they're eating chicken wings. Like everybody's <laughs> got a thing that they're doing on the street if they're an SVU extra. Nobody's ever just having a seat. Yeah. Or like drinking a cup of coffee on the on a thing. They're just... And they're like, oh, hi. Yeah, what can I what can I help you with? Yeah. You know? Okay, so now we're at St. Martin's. Fucking dude's in a hospital bed, gurney or whatever. Benson and Stabler are asking Wesley why he didn't tell them that he was making porn. He's like, it's not illegal, so it's none of their business, he says. Exactly. And he still won't tell them who shot him. They also don't seem to care that this dude, the victim, by mm-hmm. the way, is in probably the worst shape of his fucking life. He's like barely able to talk, and they're grilling him. Right. They ask where Jane is and he starts getting pissed and he's like, fucking leave her out of this. Mm-hmm. Benson tells him that if he doesn't tell them where she is, they'll go and find her and see how much she knows. And I was kind of just like, what the fuck? She's really just going balls to the wall this episode. Yeah. But I think they're also kind of like, can you just like fucking tell us something? Obviously, Solve there's this. a lot more to this here. Yeah. He tells them to not involve her. and He's like, you don't know what you're doing. Sailor's like, you have to start explaining to us. Like, we're running out of fucking options. We're going to start doing shit that you don't want us to do. So he just, like, sighs and turns his head and closes his eyes, and it was really weird (laughs) the way he did it. I was like, did he just die? (laughs) And they're like, so we just walk away then, I suppose. That's how my great-grandpa would let me know that a conversation was over. (laughs) Just same thing. Pretends he's fell asleep. (laughs) Yeah. We're at Omen Management now. 
mm-hmm. or is it Omen? Omen? Omen Management. Um, Benson and Stabler wrote, it's this is where Jane is. Oh, man. But then you actually find out that it's, oh, 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 man. Management. <laughs> Porn! I was really conflicted on um, doing that because it was so fucking stupid. It was so, no, because it was so toots waiting for a fucking high five. It was so good. <laughs> so this I is mean, where. It was so bad. It was good. Yeah. It was bad. You weren't wrong there. <laughs> I don't want you to doubt your own intuition. It was terrible. but <laughs> so good that it made it all the way around the horn to being good again. Okay, go. Yes. Uh, this is where Jana works, right? So Benson and Stabley roll up flashing badges, and they're, like, talking to the secretary lady. They're like, where's Jana? Um, and then Scale's like, she in some kind of trouble? And this extra has um, really cute hair and face. Yeah. So they walk into a room with a flashing red light. Like, you know, obviously we all know that means recording. And they see Jana on her hands and knees scrubbing a floor in lingerie with, like, half-naked dudes in, like, construction belts and stuff and, like, a camera. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, shooting a, they're shooting a porn and the she director was is like rubbing the floor so hard. I know. That's why I was laughing. She was like, my pipes. Are br-. It's like what you think of in porn, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so this director pops up. and He's like, what the fuck? You ruined my shot. I'm Cal Ullman. <laughs> we're not doing anything wrong here. Everything isn't everything is in order. And Stabler's like, we're not here for fucking you, dude. Chill out. Yeah. And then J- Jaina is begging Benson and Stabler to talk later. She's like, oh, my God, we have to like do this later, please. We have to finish this. And they say no. And she's like, yes, I know Wesley's in the hospital. I was going to call him on my break. If I don't work, we don't get paid and we need this money. Like, do I have to call a lawyer? Mm-hmm. And then Omen's like, get a fucking warrant or get out. And then all of a sudden, Mara, Jaina and Wesley's daughter, comes running in asking for quarters for the soda machine. And another woman is running by her and being like, oh, my God, Jaina, I'm so sorry. I couldn't stop her. She goes, Jaina, I'm sorry. I tried to get her, but I couldn't stop her. She yeah. sounded like Shanna, the sexy pants shitter, Kristen Wiig character from SNL. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Oh, well, I tried to get her, but I couldn't stop her. Oh, well. <laughs> So Stabler's like, what the hell is your daughter doing on a porn set? And then I'm kind of like, it's none of your fucking business, Stabler. Honestly, like, she wasn't in the fucking thing. Like, she ran out, I know, but she was obviously somewhere being watched. I don't think that's fucking bad. Like, Yeah. But they're, well, they're like, oh, it's because she does porn. But, like, it's not illegal. And, like, there should be childcare <laughs> if at, at all job. jobs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously it wasn't well thought out if she did run out onto the set. Cause I mean, yeah. she would have seen some f- fucking adult shit mm-hmm. in the, in that case. So the way I'm watching it, it's definitely not a place for kids, but not yeah. only is Stabler a dedicated detective of the SVU, the most important thing is that he's a fucking dad and he's like, yeah. you're in trouble now. Yeah. Kids can't be here. Yeah. And all the adults are like, we know that's why we were all like, yeah. Yeah. Also, this is the second time that Elizabeth Banks been like in a porn role. Remember like Zach and Mary make a porno? Oh my God. I love that movie. I know. Me too. Okay. Now we're in the interrogation room. Benson and Stabler have Jane in there and she's like, can I fucking see Mara? She's like, I couldn't find a babysitter and Wesley is sick. So it's like she, she's like, I had to take her. I didn't want to take him to my in-laws because I don't want them to teach Mara to hate me. Also, what kind of fucking question is, why didn't you take her to your in-laws? Her in-laws have literally never met Mara before, except for mm. in the precinct when her grandma called her mom a slut. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't be taking my kid to my in-laws either. Right. 
Why didn't they have the trash lady watcher? <laughs> Sorry, Mara, you're going to the trash lady. Trash lady's like, grab a bag, honey. <laughs> <laughs> this is New York City. I'm going to teach you the ropes around here. <laughs> she says that nobody can take care of Mara besides her and Wesley anyways. She didn't explain why, but... Benson says that they're going to charge her with child fucking endangerment. And I'm like, come on, really? Jenna begs them not to. If she goes to jail, who takes care of Mara? Benson says that her in-laws are child services. And I was like, fuck. Jaina tells him that Mara has cystic fibrosis and is in need of like constant care. She's like, there's doctor's visits, there's pills. And Wesley is the only one who knows how to do Mara's chest therapy. Somebody has to bring in money. Sailor says that they'll consider putting her on notice and child services will like check in on them from time to time. If... She tells them what's up with Wesley not cooperating. She's like, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. Benson says, like, dude, someone's trying to kill your husband and you cooperate and you can walk right out the door. And Jane is, gets upset. She's like, you're going to have to arrest me. Like, who is hurting these people? Mm-hmm. So behind the glass in Craigan's bed and breakfast, Cabot is, wa- <laughs> Cabot is watching. It smells like maple syrup. It's Benson so- and Stabler come in to <laughs> order at the omelet station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm like, yeah, oh, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so they just like don't understand what's happening. They're fucking threatening to take Mara and she still won't talk. Benson's like, oh my God, Jaina is terrified. And if the mob is connected, they're just adding more pressure. And then Cabot's like, I don't want to put a terminal kid in fucking child services. Mm-hmm. And so Benson thinks someone is squeezing Wesley and Jaina to keep quiet. But then aren't they just doing the same by... Putting so much pressure on Yeah. Kraken's like, these people are fucking jerking us around and it's it's cool. It's fine to make them talk. <laughs> yeah. he, he was just like, fuck it. Like, this is their job. Don't worry about it. Stabler's like, Wesley got really irritated when we told him they were going to talk to Jaina. Maybe she's been the target this whole time. You know, and then I'm like, maybe it's like a rival porn production thing or something. Mm-hmm. So Kraken's like, okay, if we're going to go the mob route, we got to check with Cal Omen and see if he's connected in any way. Right. Now we're at Omen Management Company. Benson and Stabler said Vice told them a lot about him. Charges of extortion and blackmail, but no convictions. Omen asked Benson if she's ever thought about doing movies. He looks her up and down and he's like, you look like a real natural. Stabes cuts him off. She doesn't even like flinch. There was like no eye roll. There was no side edge. She just kept going. She's like, you're nothing to me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Stabler cuts him off and asks if he still works for the Sarducci's. He says that he has friends in the old neighborhood, but he's not with them. Stabler asks who finances the movies. He's like, yeah, you're Mm. not that big of a deal in the porn world. So like, where are you getting your money from? And he's yeah. like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a man. I do stuff. I'm successful. I'm, I'm an important poor guy. I'm, I'm Cal Oman. I'm Cal Oman. I'm the director of this porn movie. My mom said it was good. <laughs> Jana Jansen is his only big star, and she doesn't work that much. Benson asks if her husband Wesley gets in the way, and Omen's like, the less Jana works, the more the public wants her. So... <laughs> Benson asks if Wesley moonlighting in porn pisses him off. And Omen's like, no, I don't use Wesley that much. And now I want it all because of the barebacking thing. Stabler's like, oh, well, maybe you're mad at Wesley for not using condoms because he's having sex with his wife without condoms. And that puts your moneymaker, Jaina, at risk. 
Mm-hmm. Omen's like, that's her business. I made her a star and I can make another person a star. Stabler asks him if it would be easier to just get rid of Wesley. Omen's like, I didn't shoot that guy. I was right here prepping for a movie the night Wesley was shot, prepping with the new girl, Delia Sarton, just like he did back in the day with Jaina, implying that he used to fuck Jaina. Mm-hmm. Omen and Jaina were involved, but he said he moved on and she's got, quote, mileage. Who wants to be with a chick that's been with a hundred guys? Wow. Um, secure dudes who also appreciate experience. You're a fucking porn director. Right. Fucking A, dude. He's like, my receptionist will tell you where Delia is. Okay. So uh-huh. go get my alibi. <clears throat> Benson and Stabler walking and talking with Delia. She's coming out of the body wax place. Okay. They all walk and talk while the detectives grill the shit out of her. They ask her where Omen was the night of the shooting. And she says that she was on set with Omen from 8.30 p.m. till 1 a.m. Then she took a cab home. And Staves is like, what cab company? Delia's like, it was yellow. (laughs) So she's just full of shit. Yeah. She says that she doesn't remember what she did before rehearsal. And Stabler just stops her. He's like, cut the shit. You could be charged with obstruction of justice, okay? 16 months to three years in prison. What the fuck is going on? So she's like, ugh. Omen told me he'd give me better parts like he gives Jaina if I vouched for him. Don't tell Omen. Don't get me in trouble. Yeah. Delia said that Omen set up a gangbang for Jaina in Vegas. 300 guys in 10 hours. She's going to be on Howard Stern. Remember that? Remember Howard Stern? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, Delia wants a piece of that stardom that Jaina's got. She Mm -hmm. says that Omen is crazy about Jaina and that Jaina belongs to him. Delia begs them not to tell Omen. Benson's like, don't worry. And I hope they stick to that. I know. Because she could be in some trouble. Well, she could be in trouble. She could get hurt. She could, you know, lose her job. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So now we're in the arraignment. Jaina's in court on the charges of child endangerment and one count of unlawful dealings with a child. Jaina's lawyer objects because the unlawful dealings with the child covers children in bars, obscenities, and prostitution, and pornography is not part of that because pornography is legal. And then Cabot's like, well, pornography is a form of legal prostitution, and the minor's mental, physical, and emotional welfare were corrupted. The judge agrees. Jaina pleads not guilty and requests ROR. Cabot says there was wanton sexual activity, and it was not good for Mara to be there. Jaina's lawyer says Mara was confined to an area from filming where everyone was clothed, and Jaina did everything to shield Mara and Cabot chimes in except to get a babysitter and I was like Jesus she's like the parents in-laws were in town and she didn't call them and this is where I scream oh my god they are literal strangers to Mara plus the fucked up dynamic I wouldn't either I would be afraid that they would kidnap her like if it was my kid yeah we're not allowing you to see your grandchild okay you feel like you have rights to her as the grandparents and you don't respect our boundaries and whatever else and we don't fucking even know you she doesn't know you you'll take her back to goddamn arkansas yeah Jaina's lawyer says that Mara suffers from cystic fibrosis and can't be left in the care of just anyone. And Wes is in the court, too, by the way. The judge says that Jaina should have thought of that before she took Mara to a porn set. The judge wants 5000 cash or bond. You know how they're fucking so broke and they're just doing everything they can to keep their fucking daughter alive. It's like, sucks. Ugh. Now we're in the courthouse hallway. Benson and Stabler are waiting there for Wesley. They tell him they know Omen is connected and has a thing for Jaina, and they think that he tried to have him killed. They say, next time you're not going to be so lucky. Next time Omen might go after Jaina or after Mara. Mm -hmm. Stabler's like, maybe that's what you want. Maybe you're sick of being saddled with a sick kid, huh? Jesus. And Wesley takes a swing at Stabler past his face. It was very dance moves. 
And mm-hmm. I loved it. And Stigler puts him in this bear hug and puts him against the wall. And he's like, calm down. Now you've just assaulted an officer. And he frisks Wesley, but he's like doing it so he can, he's like, if yeah. somebody's watching, tell me what's up. Like, we're cool. Yeah. Wesley's like, if I say anything else, Mara's going to get hurt and I can't risk it. Benson says they need his statement and they can protect him. And I pop out of the fucking bathroom and go, sure, Jan. Mm-hmm. Right. Wesley's like, he agrees with me and he's like, no, you can't. They already tried to leave and Omen said that Jaina wasn't going anywhere. He shot Wesley to prove it to Jaina. If that man experiencing homelessness, Phil, hadn't showed up, he would have been dead. Yeah. Benson tells him, just say that on the stand. And Wesley's like, my daughter is dying. We do porn to pay for her bills. Do you understand that? There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. He tells Benson and Stabler that if they keep coming after them, they're just going to make things worse. And they let him go. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yep. Benson said that since Omen lied about his alibi, they should bring him in and do a little two-on-one. Mm-hmm. And then Toots jumps in with a great porn one-liner <laughs> that I don't have. No, they're, who knows where they are. Yeah. But Stabes is like, that's going to give Omen a heads up and he's going to try to come up with another explanation. Then Benson suggests getting the witness, Phil, to do a lineup. Mm -hmm. Benson calls Munch and Toots to see if they can still locate Phil. Right. Uh, Munch and Toots are on the street. They found Phil back in rehab. Munch goes, what a surprise. Phil's back in rehab. And it's like... Toots is like, oh, Phil's ID won't be any good because he's a junkie. And Toots is getting all worked up about Phil. And Munch is like, yeah, I had a partner early on who got worked up too. Then he ate his gun. And I was like, damn. Jesus. <laughs> all right. Uh, there's a lot of weird shit going on in this episode. So now, now they're at this rehab. Um, Munch and Toots and Cabot are like really trying to get Phil to focus and look at pictures. He seems to be detoxing. So he's like hurting real bad. He doesn't remember shooting. And Cabot's like, well, I'm out of here. Munch is like, chill. Just chill a second. And she's like, look, you, Munch, like you can jog his memory about the incident and nothing else. Otherwise, it's like unusable. Like you don't want to coach him into right. saying stuff. So Darkwing Duck takes off his damn sunglasses he doesn't need to be wearing inside. So Munch asks Phil how he got the scratch on his face. Because, like, earlier in the episode, he had gotten a piece of ricochet from the bullet. So he had, like, a little bit of it on his cheek. Fucking Toots grabs Phil and says, Phil, you want to be a stupid dick and kill yourself? Go right ahead. I need to look at these damn pictures. And I was like, chill out. Phil says, hey, you gave me some orange juice. You're a nice guy. And then, like, Phil picks out Omen and says... The brunette, snub nose revolver. And Cabot's like, I can't take this to the judge. Phil's coming off heroin. And I'm like, well, then what the fuck are you doing here why then? Why are you still sitting there then, Cabot? Yeah, like, why did you even go to a fucking rehab? Like, whatever. Right. Yeah, and then Munch was like, he was clean during the statement. Remember Toots had him do a talk screen to cover their bases if he relapsed, like, in the court yeah. in the future? And then Toots is like, can you just call in a favor? And she's like, after working SVU, I don't have any left. <laughs> <laughs> this precinct makes my job really hard. Yeah. I said that shitty but like i adore cabot i know me too okay at omen management company the friggin' swat team files into the place with rifles and shit followed by benson and stabler they're looking for omen and apparently it's hardcore time Mm -hmm. but instead they find omen fucking dead with a bullet in his back ding holy shit call a bus Also, Benson and Stabes are wearing Kevlar vests that are super puffy. Mm-hmm. So I just imagine them like off to fucking Cragen's ice shanty to go <laughs> fishing after this. <laughs> now we're outside Wesley and Jaina's apartment. The cops are there. Stabler tells the cops to take it easy because Mara's sick. So they take it easy and they bust down the fucking door. <laughs> yeah. 
The apartment's <laughs> empty. Benson's like, oh, they're running. Wesley's prints were all over the murder weapon. If the news gets out, Wesley could become a mark, though. Well, here's what's weird. It's like, they need a battering ram to break down a fucking apartment when, like, usually Stable just uses his, like, fat ass. The inertia <laughs> from his fat ass. I mean, look at the episode before. The two of them were, like... Each one of them separately kicked down an d- apartment door by themselves, Hawk right. and Stabler, and then did a one, two, three, we're best friends, kick down a door. But like four <laughs> cops need to get a battering ram? Like what is happening? Maybe they don't have as good of um, like health insurance coverage as detectives do. So they're like, we have to go easy on our fucking high kicks. <laughs> yeah. Obviously that's if, what it is. If I pull a hammy again, I'm I'm going to be out for a couple days. I don't have the PTO for this. <laughs> Yeah, so they're trying to figure out, like, okay, they took off, da-da-da. If the news gets out about Omen and whatever else, Wesley's going to become a mark. These people have no money, and they can't get too far. Stabler right. says that they know where Wesley's parents are staying, so maybe you and me, Benny, need to go over there by ourselves and not drag the fucking SWAT, team. SWAT with a giant metal post to sh- knock their door down. Let's just go and knock on it. Let's try that. So Benson and Stabes go to the budget hotel. They're knocking on the door, and... As they walk in, Wesley's dad goes, my son didn't do this. So they come into the room and Wesley's sitting there with his mom. He's got Mara over his lap and is panicked and instructing his mom on how to do Mara's treatments. He's like quick trying to tell her before the cops take him. And the whole scene is so fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. Mara's coughing and Wesley's like, she's going to whine and she'll tell you it hurts, but she'll die if you don't do it. Do you understand? And he's asking Benson and Staler to hold on a second while he tells the instructions before they arrest him. So much goes into what has to be done for Mara. He's telling his mom the name of the doctor, if Mara gets a fever. At the same time, Wesley's trying to get Mara to calm down. Benson then says, we're not going to cuff you in front of her, but you've got to come with us. Yeah. Mara's coughing and crying for her dad while they read him his rights oh my god it's fucking heart-wrenching yeah oh thankfully benson and staves like gave him that moment and took him in without being fucking nuts about it yeah it still really sucks though yeah we're in an interrogation room now um wesley is telling benson and slayler that his parents took out a second mortgage so mara could get on the transplant list because of the second mortgage jana didn't need to do the vegas gangbang anymore so he tried to go to omen and reason with him oh man yeah oh man <laughs> Uh, Stabler says, you trying to go reason with a man who shot you sounds like a motive for murder. Wesley says he's in enough trouble as it is. Why lie? Mm-hmm. And Benson's like, um, I don't know the difference between parole and, and a life sentence. And then I was like, oh, my God, I bet Jaina killed him. And Wesley wiped the gun and put his fingerprints all over it. That or it's Mara. <laughs> like... I don't know. Wesley's like, I didn't mean to kill him. He and Omen fought and Omen pulled the gun. They struggled and the gun went off. So he's claiming self-defense. Benson says the evidence doesn't support self-defense. There wasn't any evidence that a struggle went on in the room. And if it were self-defense, the prints on the gun would be smudged, grabbing it or like fighting, you know? Yeah. So there's like an odd silence. Then Stapler's like, where the fuck is Jaina? Wesley says that she's taking care of a few things and moving back to Arkansas with his parents. And I'm like, no way. She fucking hates them. Stabler's like, dude, this is all bullshit. You need to change your story like right now. Because once they leave the room, they're going to recommend prosecuting and they're going to go for the max. Benson tells Wesley that if he tells the truth, they'll try and get him some leniency. Wesley nods knowingly and he tells them what had been happening. He says that their phone was just like ringing off the hook. Dudes from all over were trying to get to Jaina to sign up for bigger stunts than the Vegas one. And he said, quote, just lining up to turn her into a sideshow freak, end quote. Wesley had just really wanted Jaina out. 
And he, like, didn't mean for all men to die. At arraignment court, Wesley pleads guilty. Cabot tells the judge Wesley told SVU what he did, and Cabot's fine with him being guilty. The judge says, remand until allocation, next case. Like, easy peasy. Wesley's dad is in the stand, pensively watching. Also, this dad is the wife of the first two seasons. He has no name, he's been in multiple scenes, and hasn't said more than three words. Right. Now we're in the courthouse hallway. Whoop, this is Wesley's dad's big moment. Mm Mm-hmm. He asks Benson and Stabler if there's anything he can do for his son, and Benson says that Wesley confessed to homicide. There's nothing that he can do. Wesley's dad is just like, I I just don't think it's him. I don't think it was him. Stabler Mm -hmm. reminds him that he hasn't seen Wesley in years, and maybe Wesley has changed. Wesley's dad said it was her, meaning Jaina. Mm-hmm. Benson tells him, you keep blaming Jaina for Wesley's bad judgment. Wesley's dad said, well, then where the hell is she? She told me she's not going back to Arkansas. Wesley's going through hell and she's nowhere to be found. And Benson's kind of like, wait a minute. Well, is Mara going with Jaina? Mm-mm, she's not. Mara's staying with her grandparents, what who she fuck? just fucking met, who yeah. Jaina made it a big deal that she didn't want them to be with her. Yeah, and fucking Wesley said that she was taking care of some things before she moves back to Arkansas with his parents. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck? So then they, they're they all starting for a quick second to doubt Jaina. Mm-hmm. But Staler's like, well, even if we wanted to help Wesley, his prints are all over the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. And Wesley's dad goes, I know people change, but my son didn't shoot anyone. I hunt. I have rifles. Wesley never touched them. Never. So... At first, I'm like, well, who cares if he never touched guns growing up? Mm-hmm. But I think what he was kind of implying is that, like, Wesley doesn't know how to shoot. He wouldn't even know what to do with a gun if he, yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't know what to do with a gun if it was up his ass making a ham sandwich. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> At the police crime lab, Benson asks the lab dude, you know the one, mm-hmm. if they found any other prints beside Wesley's. And he's like, none, no smudges and no partials. But I did find prints belonging to the victim on the other rounds inside the weapon. (laughs) Stabler says that doesn't make sense unless it was wiped clean. So I'm full of shit. This lab dude got some serious notes after last episode because he's way the fuck toned down. Yeah. He actually sounds like a professional. Yeah. So he tells them it was a right-handed shot and fucking Stabler dry shoots the gun. Yeah, which is like, you don't do that ever. He's like in a room and Benson is like looking down the barrel of the gun with him, like watching to see what he's shooting at or something. When (sighs) I would be looking at Stabler going, what the fuck are you doing in here? Yeah, nobody does that. So Stabler's like, oof, that trigger's tight. And Benson goes, Wesley doesn't have the dexterity to fire that gun. Why wipe it clean and put his prints all over it. Who's he been protecting this entire time? Jaina. Jaina. Oh my God. Oh, oh here we go. God. I can't, I can't with this. I got too much trash to move. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Gabe's like, oh, are we doing callbacks? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Now we're outside the Jansen apartment. Benson and Stabler find Jaina with a big bag leaving. She wasn't in court because she said that she just couldn't deal with it. She says that, of course, she cares about Wesley going to jail, but she has to accept it and deal with reality. She's just got to get out of there and start over. She tells them that she's not going to go back to small town Arkansas because she's heading to Vegas, then L.A. It's her last chance. She really needs this. She says that if she's not a star by the time she's 30, then she can forget about becoming a producer director 
director later on. And Stabler's like, what about Mara? And she's like, oh, she's going to go stay with my in-laws and I'm going to send money back to her. I'm going to hire the best lawyers for Wesley. And eventually I'm going to be back with Mara and I want to buy the best place for us. Stabler's like, so you get to be the porn queen while your husband takes the fall for a crime he didn't commit? He says this and Jaina's like not facing him. And Jaina's like, what? And Benson tells her that the evidence proves that Wesley's innocent. And she's super fake here. And she's like, thank God. When is he getting out? (laughs) Benson's like, let's go inside. We can talk about it. Yeah. And Jaina's like, because she's sitting there going, oh, fuck, they know something. How do Mm -hmm. I play this? Right. Inside the apartment, Benson asks Jaina if she's fired a gun recently. Jaina's like, "Mm, mm -mm." nope. Benson says, then you'll agree to a gunshot residue test. Jaina asks them why. And Benson's like, if we find gunshot residue on your skin or clothes, you're in trouble, honey. Hugely. Hugely. Because (laughs) it doesn't wash off right away. She's like, um, so where's the clothes you were wearing the day that Owen was shot? We're going to need to take those. Jaina puts her fingers on her temple and she's like, this isn't happening. Benson mm-hmm. says that the court will probably go easy on her with a terminally ill child and Jaina being a minor when she was initially coaxed into what Benson called child pornography, what's really called child sexual abuse images. Stabler said, which, which they didn't tell us. Yeah, we didn't, we know, didn't know that this. either. Yeah, that was news to us. I thought that she was well, so fucking Wesley said that she was molested by her uncle. Sexually assaulted. They said sexually assaulted, oh. but they didn't say anything about... Um, being like photographed or videoed or like having to, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. This isn't that bad. It's not a fucking flog full of diamonds. So, right. Yeah. But it's getting there. The content is bad. Like what's, happened to the person oh, yes. bad. oh yeah. yeah 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 i'm like it's mean the, not that bad that's you, not yeah you mean no. the writing, the writing. <laughs> yeah. jeremy's backing down whoa, whoa. stabler <laughs> says that they know <laughs> stabler says that they know she shot omen they just got to get her to the lab to prove it here comes the music jana's passion intensifies so her accent gets thick <laughs> 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 Jaina said Omen slapped her around and threatened her. I had to defend myself. <laughs> Benson says he was shot in the back trying to escape. Jaina tells Benson, you didn't know Omen. I had mm-hmm. to defend myself. Benson says, so you let Wesley make the sacrifice? Jaina sacrifice. tells him. Huh? The title. Sacrifice. Oh, the sacrifice you let wesley make the sacrifice (laughs) we've got to get there before the point break (laughs) hop in this tube when you fall asleep you'll wake up as your avatar (laughs) no (laughs) rest in peace patrick swayze oh okay wait no where was i thick thick man that sabler's ass is thick so Benson's like, so you let Wesley make the sacrifice? Sacrifice, sacrifice. <laughs> Jaina tells them, I was a wreck. Janie was like, I, I came home and I was a fucking wreck after what had happened. And I told Wesley and she didn't ask Wesley to do anything, but he knew Mara needs her. Benson's like, you're not even going to Arkansas with Mara. Mara's staying with her fucking grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. All of a sudden they're her grandparents. Yeah. Look at me be mad at Jaina and totally flip on it. <laughs> like defending the grandparents when I'm like, they're kidnappers, maybe. <laughs> so Jaina says you'd understand what it's like to be trapped with a sick kid doing three guys at a time to pay off my debts 
It's, I'm really shit. I'm swimming in it. No, it's good. I love it. I have a $50,000 contract waiting for me in Las Vegas, and Omen would have taken all of it. He was never going to let me go. Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Stabler stands up and says, well, neither will Bedford Hills, at least not for 15 years minimum. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Sacrifice, sacrifice. <laughs> so now we're in the jail. Wesley's getting out and asks Benson and Stabler what's going to happen to Jaina. Stabler tells him that Jaina pled not guilty in going for self-defense. And then Benson's like, her chances don't look good. And that's it. <laughs> and it sucks because Mara. Mara. Dude. Dude. Have I got a chaser for you. Oh, shit. Okay, so one thing I want to say is that I feel like we haven't said this in a while, and I just want to, because of a message that we received, I just want to be like, okay, our chasers are either the story that the episode was based on, the fictional episode of SVU, mm -hmm. or it is something that is similar in content. Like, we don't know what stories actually, for a fact, are what influenced the show. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. this chaser is not what the episode was based on, but there are a lot of similarities just with some of the content, like the writing or the writers, like it's a fictional show. Yeah. Some stuff could be ripped from the headlines and are similar. The but the reason we can find so many fucking laughs in it, too, is that yeah. it's fiction. Yeah. If you listen to us enough, there aren't nearly as many laughs in the chaser, which is good, I think. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, so this chaser has got a few of similar threads as the other one, but the quilt looks totally different, honey. Mm -hmm. Also, it's not what it is based on because this story is from 2010. So right. on Saturday, May 15th, 2010 in Newport, Ritchie, Florida, 41-year-old biker, tattoo shop owner, and wild man Dennis Scooter Abrahamson was out with pals Maynard and Lisa Bindshaddle. These are some crazy last names already. <laughs> Abra Abrahamson and Bim Chattel. These are, yeah, I made those up on the spot just now. <laughs> they were hanging at the Brass Flamingo Strip Club late into the night. So Scooter then is like, you guys, let's take this back to my place. He'd been texting with He's someone. He's like, hey, Scoots, let's go to the Brass Flamingo. He is Scoots. And then the and then the Bing Schwaders were like, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Anyway, I'm going to refer to him as Scooter. Everybody called him Scooter. So Scooter's like, you guys, let's take this back to my place. He had been texting with someone. After stopping at the 7-Eleven around 2 a.m., the three got to Scooter's home. A woman who went by the name Sunny Day met up with them there. I'll tell you more about her in a minute. Mm -hmm. For now... She's a sex worker who was hired for the party. These guys are all then hooking up in the hot tub. Mm -hmm. Maynard and Lisa later told police that they thought it was strange, but Sunny was like dicking around on her phone the whole time. Mm -hmm. People are fucking and she's like going to check her text messages and mm -hmm. on her Blackberry. So it's like, yeah, like the button at about 530 in the morning, the Schwagheimers left <laughs> I don't want to disrespect them. The Jingleheimers. The Bin Shettles. Yeah. The Bin Shettles left, but Sunny stayed behind to give Scooter a massage. Mm -hmm. Next day comes along. Scooter's cousin was trying to get a hold of him, and the dude wasn't answering his phone. So after he didn't call back, after a while, his cousin went to the house to check up on him because he's like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. He went inside and found something awful. Mm -hmm. There was Scooter lying fully nude and face down on a massage table. After a split second of thinking his cousin was asleep, he noticed that Scooter's head and body had such terrible injuries that he knew he had died a violent death. Uh -huh. Give it a little click ahead if 
you don't want to hear, I'm not even going to get graphic, but it's jarring regardless of how graphic or not graphic it is. Scooter had been stabbed all over his body and the back of his head had been completely smashed in. Damn. When police arrived, they found a hamper right next to the body filled with everything that they would have been looking for. Yeah. A sledgehammer and two knives, all with dried blood and hair stuck to them. Fuck. Police also found Scooter's cell phone in the hamper. They needed to retrace where he'd been and who with. So investigators right away connected the bin shuttles and brought them in to get their story. Mm -hmm. They told police about Sunny and her weird behavior during the hot tub orgy. And additional investigating of Scooter's text messages popped a red flag for detectives. The text messages he was sending to Sunny were actually going to a phone owned by Jason Andrews. Well, Jason had just been picked up on retail theft charges with an accomplice, Amanda Logue, a.k.a. Sunny Day. Whoa. Okay, let's go into Sunny's history here. Amanda Logue, a.k.a. Sunny Day, had a pretty normal upbringing in the small town of Leesburg, Georgia. Mm-hmm. When Amanda was 19, she got, I'm going to call her Amanda from now on because okay. now we know who she is. Okay. Surprise. Here's a name you don't know. We're going to call her Amanda because that's her name. When Amanda was 19, she got pregnant and had a baby. Not long after, she lost her mom, leaving her heartbroken and alone to raise her daughter. Mm -hmm. Amanda met a cop, Lamon Logue. They fell in love and were married. Amanda was living her small town housewife life. Well, then Lamon got into a terrible car accident, forcing him to retire. Over the next five years, to help take care of him and their little family, Amanda started modeling, something she's always wanted to do, and it was going well. Risque modeling paid more, so she started doing that. That became porn because porn paid even more. Mm -hmm. And she worked a lot. She eventually left Georgia to go to New York for a shoot where she met Jason Andrews, a porn star slash British DJ that she would be shooting scenes with. Mm -hmm. They had major chemistry and quickly became involved outside of work. This is an, a side note in case anybody really needs to get a visual on these guys. They were in natural porn killers together. Awesome. I'm going to Google that right now. Uh, yeah. Jason Andrews' story starts not in the UK, but in Kansas. He was raised in a super religious home, farming until joining the Marines and becoming a legal clerk with them. After serving in the Marines, he ran off to Chicago to start a new life. He legit just like made up an entire life. His past was that he had grown up in England and his dad was in the military. He started working in porn. This guy faked a British accent this entire time. Whoa. The term gay for pay that was used in the episode was also used in Jason's situation. He claimed that gay porn paid five times what straight porn paid, so that's what he did. Mm-hmm. When he met Amanda, she fell right for his fantastical stories of being in the Israeli special forces and that he had killed people and like he just had this like a story for everything oh and insane. God. Doesn't this remind doesn't that remind you of <laughs> Yeah. Remember how he was like, I was a sniper for the fucking SEALs and I, I just can't sleep because I just remember like shooting somebody from like a hundred fucking yards and the coffee running down the fucking table over a book and it was like none of it was true Ugh, that's and really so he was weird. just like doing math and grinding his teeth all the time <laughs> <laughs> god that guy was ugh. yeah i had an ex-boyfriend Barf. that was actually trained to be in the seals but didn't make it because like he injured himself and i got a hold of him and like was like look up because i got fucking <laughs> birthday and whatever and like the group he said he was in because they're like they like go through these groups there's like two ten two whatever and he was like that group hasn't been around since like 1980 so he'd have to have been five <laughs> or whatever and i was like i knew and i was like i'm a private detective <laughs> and then you went to him and you were like i know that you're 
lying. And he's like, I never said that or something. Like, he was such a fucking gaslighting maniac. Fucking, I hated that guy. I hated that guy. Yeah, he was a fucking, he was a Uh, fucking real treat. All right, where was I with Jason? Here we go. Oh, so he was doing all day gay for pay. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) So... When he met Amanda, she fell for these stories, da-da-da-da, just like your ex dude. Mm-hmm. These two together are the Hansel and Gretel of Twitter. You can follow their every move from New York, road tripping, drug binging, porn, getting into Florida, partying. The cops were just like, and then they were here, and then they were here, and then they did this, and then did that. Documenting everything. They were like pheromone wrapped up in each other just immediately. Mm-hmm. That's the two of them getting together etc. Back to Florida, where Amanda and Jason are being questioned. May 18th, okay? They're (gasps) being questioned. (gasps) May 18th? (laughs) Amanda told police that after... Oh my god, this whole chaser's in May too! What the fuck? Whoa! Chaser's a Taurus! (laughs) Amanda told police that after giving Scooter a massage, he had fallen asleep on the table, and she left either right before sunrise or right after. Upon interviewing Jason, cops were like, what the fuck? This guy's going in and out of a fake accent and he's emotionally all over the place. Mm -hmm. But he insisted he wasn't even in the same town that night. He's like way out of the like the bubble of where we would expect a person not involved to be. Right. So they didn't know what to think, but they were very suspicious of both of them. Mm-hmm. There was no indication of anything or at least nothing they could hold them on. So they had to release them because the cops needed harder evidence to move forward with anything. Right. Poof. Jason disappears. It's an illusion, Michael. <laughs> disappears. Amanda goes back to her husband and daughter in the suburbs of Georgia. Remember, she's got a family in Georgia. Georgia. Detectives went to Georgia then to question Amanda. They told her that they believed Jason was the one who killed Scooter and they needed her help. During that interview, she went over the details of the party again. She's bawling while her husband's holding her and telling the detectives she was repenting at church now. So she wanted to tell them the truth. Right. Turns out, she says, Jason was in the back of his SV- SUV. <laughs> I do the same thing every time. I, yeah, I typed it out going, not this time. <laughs> yep. This time, every time. Uh, He was in the back of his SUV parked in front of Scooter's house the night of the party. It wouldn't be crazy to have him there since Amanda was a paid performer for the party and a lot of entertainers bring back up Mm -hmm. to stuff like that. Yeah. She says that Jason came in and killed Scooter on his own because he was angry and jealous. So after killing Scooter, he pulled her by the hair and made her look at Scooter's dead body, telling her that if she told anyone, he would kill her too. The detectives were like, holy shit, that sounds legit. Mm -hmm. She was such a mess, like sobbing. Her husband's like the most standby you dude because he's like, we're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. Well, then one of the investigators, Detective Daniel Toner, gets a phone call from another cop on the case. This dude, other cop, he's over at T-Mobile getting a hold of the text messages for everybody's cell phones. Mm -hmm. He like does an SVU, hang on, I got to take this and walks away with his probably flip phone because it's 2010. Mm -hmm. He gets done with a call, comes back back to detective bill Lindsay and says i gotta talk to you a second detective Lindsay's like what the fuck this is our key witness and we're in the middle of something here Mm -hmm. and toner's like we've got to go fine let's go forensics had amanda and jason's texts from that night and they told a completely different story than what amanda was telling them 
Mm-hmm. All the texts Amanda had been sending during the sex party were to Jason. They were talking about how fucked up Scooter was. Jason was asking her if she had seen what was in the safe. There was a safe at his house. Whoa. Uh, she was keeping a lookout for knives and other possible weapons. Jason was instructing her to get Scooter face down somehow. What door do I come in? Front door. Hang on. I'm about to start massaging. Like there's constant mm-hmm. back and forth. She tells Jason that she's got vinyl gloves. In the middle of all of this, she tells him that all of this talk is making her super horny and she wants to fuck after they're done. Mm-hmm. She's got Scooter face down on the massage table. Jason walked in and picked up the sledgehammer and stood next to Scooter on the table. Scooter was sound asleep and Jason killed him. Mm. There's audio of Jason describing it in a police interview, but I can't go there. It's so fucking gruesome. Mm. It, the result of what he looked like, he fully describes what he did, and it mm. and it's just awful. There were also two bloody knives at the crime scene indicating that Amanda had also stabbed Scooter after he was killed with a sledgehammer. Okay. So later in interviews, Jason told police he could have robbed Scooter without killing him, but he had told Amanda so many lies about what a psycho bad boy he was that he felt like he had to do it to prove to her that his lies were the truth. Okay. (laughs) I know. The police called it a thrill kill because not only was it pointless, but they were both turned on by it and went back to their hotel and had what they both called the best sex of their lives. Wow. So from the safe, they took a few valuable things, video camera and that kind of stuff, as well as Mm $6,000. So they're headed back to Tampa and Amanda's like, fuck Florida. God damn. I know. I know. Sorry, Florida. No, you be sorry. You be the one. You be sorry. Apologize to us, Florida. (laughs) (laughs) We've all been waiting for this for a long time. So Amanda's riding along in the car and she's like, shit, the hamper. She was supposed to take that with them and forgot it. Because like when the cops got there, they were like, oh, oh, well, I guess it's time to start looking for the. Oh, what's this hamper? Oh, it's all of the evidence. Yeah, it's everything. It's the murder weapon. It's a cell phone. It's everything. No, she was supposed to snag that before they left. What a fucking idiot. She forgot. On May 27th, 11 days after the murder and 24 days after Gabe's birthday. (gasps) Oh, I wonder what I was doing. Probably pissed that like my birthday was still being celebrated. Okay, go ahead. So May 27th, I got like confused because I'm like, Gabe's birthday. (laughs) May 27th. On May 27th, 11 days after the murder and a day after that very emotional witness confession by Amanda, police went back with Georgia police to arrest her for first degree murder and extradite her to Florida. Mm -hmm. Jason was still missing at this point. So he had gone back to Kansas, then ended up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, staying with his brother. love Chattanooga. Chattanooga is one of my favorite places. So he's in Chattanooga staying with his brother. While there, Jason met a woman living in the complex and they started dating. On a visit to her friends in New York City, she wanted to show off this new dude in her life. New York City. Woo. She was like, hey, big city gals. I've got a boyfriend in my life. So I don't know. She must have not have had photos of him or maybe her friends were like, we want to dig into his history because we're good friends. Because she was like, oh, I'm dating this successful DJ guy. So she Googled him to pull up some information on him. And what did she find? What? Uh, a guy wanted for first degree murder in Florida. And all of the details were right there. She immediately was like, and called the fucking cops. Mm-hmm. And they snagged him and had him extradited back to Florida. Mm-hmm. 
On top of a very detailed confession, forensics eventually found Jason's DNA on the handle of one of the knives used to stab Scooter. Mm -hmm. Jason pled guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life. Prosecutors couldn't physically put the knife in Amanda's hand, so had no proof outside of the planning that she had participated beyond that. She pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 40 years. So she'll be eligible for release in 2044. Hmm. The end. Damn, that's nuts. I never heard that. Well, see ya. <laughs> uh, follow us. Wait. On all. I like to. That, oh, sorry. That's the end of the chaser. Boo doo boo at the end. I don't know. I feel. I always feel like it's weird when I'm like, well, they're both in prison and someone's dead. Next time on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Follow us on all social media at SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. Check out our Patreon. We have these episodes with all of the cutting room floor stuff. Those are called garbage cookies. We also have friendship boat episodes. And that's just us floating around in the sea, loving each other. <laughs> um, there's there's extra, uh, there's, there's an occasional uh, bonus chaser. We got all kinds of stuff over there. So deals on merch. Also, we have a bunch of amazing supporters who are already there hanging out. Thank you so much to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elkie H, Sarah A, Annie G, Mary D, and Andrew. Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> we love you all and we appreciate you. Thank you so much. As always. Uh, next week, we have season three, episode eight, Inheritance. The detectives look into the assault of a young Asian woman, which they assume to be gang related, but they realize that might not be the case when a second victim turns up. Ooh. I can't wait. <laughs> Hey, we haven't asked you guys to do this in a while. If you haven't rated and reviewed us yet on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts that you're able to rate and review, do that. Five stars. Wah, wah. Yeah. Because it helps us. Fucking yeah. Fucking yeah. Fucking yeah. All right. Love you. Bye. Is that it? Yeah. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Is that it? Yep. Yeah. Love you. Bye. At the I same time. Bye. I love you. Bye. I love you. I love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna be in a huge amount of trouble. That's what it is. <laughs> She's gonna need to talk to a huge Jackman. Australian. <laughs> seven months later. Seven months later. So. Fucking gulp. Yeah. Great. Cool. Awesome. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>